0: hey everybody and welcome to breaking biotech today i'm going to talk about the anaptis bio press release on their peanut allergy data and i'm also going to talk a little bit about my biotech portfolio so i have it listed up right here Uh, it includes all the companies that i've shared with everyone except for a couple and uh, maybe i'll do specific posts on that just on on why i think they're interesting and why i hold them so uh, this is it i'm going to update it weekly and and see how the profit and loss is looking i bought a lot of these in 2017, so it's uh, it's not fair to compare year-to-date, but I've also got up here the year-to-date for the S&P 500 as well as XBI, the um, a uh, fund that tracks all of the biotech companies, so we can compare how I'm doing uh, to the whole market and to just the biotech fund itself, and uh, I'm also going to track volatility a little bit. I think that it's useful to do that so as this goes we'll we'll see how volatility compares week to week. So uh, Matrigal I've gone through, Amun, uh, Adamus, and that's it. So the other ones that I have in here are Gilead, uh, Illumina, Fate, and Spark. So I have different reasons for, for holding these guys and uh, I think it's a topic for another another show I think uh, Illumina they, they have a lot of sequencing technology that they're pretty much the, the gold standard now, so I think they have a lot of potential. Um, Spark is involved in uh, gene therapy, and they have uh, interesting candidates to, to help with blindness. Fate, I think, is a potential buyout opportunity, and I'll, I'll talk about that why maybe in another post. And uh, yeah, Gilead, I think, is just a, a juggernaut on the scene that, that is involved in some good things. So. Anyway, overall, the profit and loss, Illumina has really been saving me here because it's been kind of a, it's been a bit of a disaster. So overall, I'm up uh, 1.4% on the, since I bought everything. The total biotech index is up 0.6%, so I guess year to date, uh, I'm not doing that bad. But uh, the real ones that have been holding me back are, are Atoms, and that's based on all this Uncertainty regarding whether or not the competitor that their competitor is going to be able to take in uh, a lot of their market share, so we'll see about that. But a lot of these for me are long term holds. So, Madrigal and Atomus are I'm going to be holding for a long time. Uh, Amune as well, actually, is, is going to be a pretty long term hold, too. So, so not really expecting to see short term gains here, but uh, it would be nice to, to see how it goes. So, um, otherwise, yes, yeah, so her volatility. Uh, the XBI, we're expecting almost 4% volatility this week, so a move of about 3 points, either upwards or downwards. The, the entire market environment right now is still very uncertain with, uh, with the tariffs coming down and the interest rate hikes going on. It's, uh, it looks like there's going to be a lot of less, a lot less uh, money available to go into the market as there was in the last 10 years. So that's going to be a new challenge for everybody moving forward. And uh, and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, so uh, yeah. So with that, I'm gonna update this weekly and uh, and see how we compare to to other things. So I'm gonna get into Anaptis bio now. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about Anaptis is just is uh, is because I, I focus on peanut allergy regarding Amune, and I've also done a post uh, regarding DBVT, which is another company involved in trying to desensitize patients. So, Anaptis Bio is a San Diego-based company, and they're valued at two, almost $2.5 billion. So, they're kind of a small company, but they're similar to Prothena, which I talked about uh, last week, in that they, they generate antibodies that target specific proteins. And these guys seem to focus on inflammation, so they try to target antibodies that can inhibit proteins involved in inflammation cascades. And inflammation is involved in, in tons of different diseases, from what they're saying, Alzheimer's now, to in certain cases, to diabetes, to uh, even peanut allergy and and uh, immune responses like that. So um, they they have a specific technology where they, they take advantage of somatic hypermutation, which is a natural thing that happens. And they, they use this and generate antibodies in vitro. So they also happen to have a collaboration with Gene in different ways so much like Prothena they generate these antibodies and they they can only take them so far down the pipeline and and they hope that other companies that have a lot more resources can take them further so it seems like in the the model that they have is they want to get the drugs as far as they can and show as much data as they can without spending as much money to cripple them in case they have a negative trial and we're gonna see that as we get through this a little bit. How it seems like they're cutting corners to get data in a phase in a higher phase trial, and maybe it shouldn't be at that trial level. And I don't know. So we'll we'll see. So anyway, one of their their drug candidates is A and B zero two zero, which inhibits interleukin thirty three. So let's see. So interleukin thirty three, not to get too intense on the science behind it but basically in in different allergic responses whether it's dermatitis or peanut allergy or uh, asthma the there's some sort of input and in whether that's an irritant or the allergen or the environment uh, it leads to a cascade of signals going downstream to different cells and different molecules and it is also how um, do I want to say it's logarithmic so this a single peanut allergen can cause a cascade of events where the eventual effect is is many fold larger than the amount of initial input so interleukin 33 gets released based on some sort of, uh, of stimulus and this uh, molecule leads to uh, a large cascade of events including mast cell degranulation which is very very important in, in things like allergic uh, reactions and asthma attacks. So if you get mast cell degranulation, that can be to such a magnitude where you get these anaphylactic responses or these responses where you can't, you can't breathe and, and uh, it's hard to come back from that. So if you can prevent mast cell degranulation, then you're, you're gonna stop the process at that level and you'll lead to uh, beneficial outcomes when people have these negative reactions to different foods or to the environment in in terms of dermatitis or asthma. So, uh, so this is the step that you want to stop, in my opinion, is the mast cell degranulation. And uh, Anaptis has shown some in vitro data that using the A and B they can stop a lot of mast cell degranulation due to IL thirty three inhibition. So. The compound inhibits IL-33, and then you get less mast cell degranulation in the presence of an allergen. That's the, the point. So they've shown good data with the dermatitis trials that they've done, but they now want to see if uh, this can be used in peanut allergy for severe, moderate to severe patients in peanut allergy. And we talked about this similarly in the immune trial uh, two, three weeks ago when they showed their data. And uh, yeah, so so we'll get into it right now. Um, Yeah. Okay, so in this trial, it was a 2A trial, so they wanted to do a proof-of-concept trial, so not a a giant one like we saw with Amune. So it was only 20 patients, and here's the the layout. So they did a baseline oral food challenge, which we remember from the Amune trial, so they give cumulatively increasing doses of peanut protein, and then once symptoms start to appear, they they stop and they say that that is what the peanut tolerance is before they see symptoms. So I think they really dropped the ball here because that wasn't abundantly clear uh, in in how they assessed patients at baseline, and I think that leads to the real weakness in this study. But we'll talk about that. So at day 14 14s, when they did this baseline food challenge, and then at day one they started or they gave the single dose of A and B zero two zero a 300 milligram dose IV. And at day 14 after that, they did another oral food challenge and evaluated whether or not there was an improvement in in the amount of protein or symptoms that the patients dealt with when they were given increasing doses of peanut protein. Okay, so this is the chart that has everybody confused. So they only had 20 patients in the trial and it's it's hard to get any meaningful power data from a sample size that is this small in my opinion, but they uh, took these adult patients, so you can see the average age is 30, so that's one difference from the immune trial. Even though they did have an adult population, most of the people were um, children. So the average cumulative peanut tolerance at baseline was around 230 milligrams. So what this could be interpreted as is that at 220 230 milligrams, they started to see symptoms, so the allergist went ahead and stopped the, stopped giving more and said that that's what your tolerance is. But it seems like what they did instead is they they gave them all of this peanut protein and some patients still had mild reactions at this dose. So instead of continuing to increase the dose, they just stopped the trial and excluded these patients from the study. And the ones that they included were the ones that were having um, severe, moderate to severe reactions at 236 milligrams. So, um, and they, in the conference call, they kept bringing up how they, they follow these practical guidelines and that they're very standard, and this is a proof, or this is the gold standard of peanut allergy evaluation. But there's some, it's not quite as black and white as that, as they'd like to say. And I think this is where the weakness comes in. So, um, This article here, I'll leave it in the comments, is where they come up with these practical uh, consensus guidelines on peanut allergy testing. Um, So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But just for some uh, context, so the 230 milligrams of peanut tolerance compared here is about um, an an order of magnitude higher tolerance than the patients had for the entry baseline uh, food challenge in the Palisade trial for amine. So they were not able to tolerate more than 30 milligrams before the uh, before the allergist had to stop the trial and, and say that they had, you know, mild symptoms. So in the AMIEN trial, they're very clear. And if you look at the statement, they said the dose is successfully consumed with no more than mild symptoms. So once the symptoms get from mild to moderate is when they stop the trial. And that is what the dose is that you can tolerate there. So... This, I don't think, is what they did necessarily in this uh, trial. So, I uh, I don't know. There, there's some confusion there, but I'll get into it a little more. So, once they did the baseline, at, at day one, they injected the uh, A and B 020. And then at the en- exit food challenge, or this is interim analysis, so they're going to be doing another analysis in, in about 20 days, I think. Uh, actually, it's right here. So at day 45, they're going to do another food challenge and just to see if this effect maintains or not. Um, yeah. So the data that they show here is that of the patients that received A and B 020, about half of them had improved peanut tolerance to cumulative 500 milligrams at day 14 in the oral food challenge, and uh, they had improved symptom severity at day 14 as well, 38% of them. So this is where it gets a little confusing. So they they also they looked at symptom severity as well, and they kept the max protein p- peanut protein at 500 milligrams, uh, which is also not ideal. If some patients could have gone to higher peanut protein, and then you could have evaluated whether or not there was actually uh, a difference there. So the placebo only had an n of three because they excluded two patients that were apparently mild in severity. And that's really the distinguishing factor that they use. So they they looked at if you are mild, you were decided to be a mild patient if you didn't show severe symptoms, not whether or not you could tolerate a more peanut protein than this, the moderate to severe patients. So you can either characterize patients in how severe their symptoms are or what their maximum dose of peanut protein they can consume without getting moderate to severe reactions so uh, it seems like these lines were blurred in in this trial so in this uh, 46 percent group they were able to reach uh, improved tolerance but they don't tell you what the tolerance was and then they also showed that at whatever tolerance that was they had improved symptom severity so I don't like this because if you just pushed all the patients until they got to moderate to severe symptoms then we can actually find out what the the maximum cumulative dose that they could take before they get a severe reaction, and that's really, I think, what the goal is because it's a tangible thing that we can do. the the mild, moderate, severe symptoms they're they're real but they're more ethereal and it's they're not really like a concrete thing that we can write down. So, um, I think if they had a done that, done more of a concrete thing like this is the peanut protein at which that we had to stop the trial because they would have a, had a moderate reaction, it would have been better instead of this. So they uh, they do have a number at which point they were able to improve the tolerance but they, they don't tell us and they said that they're going to save it for a, a paper or an abstract at a conference so we'll see what it is but um, they also did show the improvements in severity of symptoms but you could argue that you know, did they just give them less peanut protein to get those symptoms? We don't really know because we don't know what their uh, actual amount of peanut protein they were given. And if we look at, you know, the the maximum amount of peanut protein they gave was 500 milligrams. And we see from the baseline that they were able to tolerate 230 milligrams before getting um, really severe uh, reactions. So uh, I don't I don't know. To to double the amount of tolerance is, is nice, but if they're I don't know. So this is why it's it's sort of confusing. And if you compare it to Amune, you know, they're able to tolerate six hundred milligrams compared to thirty when they start. So this is a an order of magnitude increase in in tolerance, whereas here they're only getting a twofold improvement. And now we don't know if the improvement could be better if they Uh, we're able to increase the cumulative dose past 500. So I appreciate that this is a proof of concept study and they're just trying to see whether there's any effect from their drug from one single dose of A and B020. But I almost think this leaves more questions unanswered than it does questions answered. And hopefully in their their future study, they're going to have more patients and they're going to be able to answer those questions better and be more clear in their guidelines and what they're looking for. Um, so one, some good things though, is that they didn't have any adverse uh, reactions, which is something that you did see with the desensitization therapy. And I think that just comes to the, just the, the way that they're attacking the problem is, is characteristically different. Um, providing people with the allergen is going to give them a lot of symptoms and that's just comes with the nature of the, the game there. But in this case, you're, you're not expecting to see very many adverse events because you're not providing the peanut protein itself. So it it'll be nice to see whether or not they can come up with a a dosing regimen to get sustained uh, improvement and a more tangible improvement in in um, improvement in peanut tolerance and in the the question and answer period they they were asked this repeatedly but a lot of the answers that they gave I thought were kind of cop outs so because um, they were asked whether or not like what's up with this high baseline compared to other studies like the Amune and the DBVT trials. And he talked about how this is an adult um, group and adults are more likely to have a higher tolerance of peanut protein, which, you know, it's, it's arguable. But he also talked about how they didn't want to exclude any patients because it's not a representation of the real world in terms of people who might have a high tolerance. But once they hit that tolerance, they get very severe reactions so I don't know. You could argue that if you have a lower tolerance of peanut protein, that you, that would that should consider you to be a uh, moderate to severe responder to peanuts. And they didn't make that very clear in terms of their uh, their presentation to me. Anyway. Okay. Other than that, um, yeah. So in their future study, they're uh, they're gonna hopefully fix these issues and and see. Uh, see what they can get. Um, so they did talk about that in their in their Q&A and uh, they they went back to saying that this is a just a proof of concept trial and uh, just this is what this is what it is. So they're they're expecting to get results from their uh, where is it here? So in their e like asthma trial they're doing another 2A and uh, when I was originally earlier in the in the video talking about how you know, they're trying to just get as much data as they can. To, to show other companies who are potential buyout players that, hey, you know, we, we did this little study and we showed this. Is it attractive enough for other pe- other larger companies to come in and fund a big trial? So I think this is what they're trying to do in all this. And it for, for a single candidate to have all these different indications would be a huge, um, huge benefit. But I don't know, I almost think that these guys spent a lot of time to do this peanut allergy study when if they had have uh, done it more comprehensively they could get a, a real answer on whether or not it does help with peanut allergy which this still leaves a lot of questions um, so he did say that they're gonna tell us what the actual amount of peanut tolerance was in these patients at a, at a upcoming conference so I think we can look forward to that I personally am NOT going to be investing in these guys yet i it's It's hard to tell whether or not this this compound is good. I like the, the antibody strategies in general, I think are great, but I just don't know like if you're you're saying you're gonna give people a twofold increase in um, improvement in their peanut tolerance, I don't know if that necessarily means that you're you're making patients get a tangible um, improvement in that way and if they can already tolerate two hundred and thirty milligrams of protein, that's almost a single peanut. And when it comes to uh, what patients want, is they want protection from anaphylaxis when they're going out to dinner or something like that. And if they can all, if you're only selecting a patient population that can tolerate an entire peanut, it's not. I don't think that's what you're looking for. So I think they need to be more careful with that criteria when they get these baseline, baseline patients. Um, yeah. So with that, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up there. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, leave me a comment. And uh, with that, I'll uh, see you next time.